When our children were growing up, they used to count all the houses in the neighborhood that hung out their lights at Christmas time. In their minds, Christmas was the festival of lights. And they were close, the season was right, but it's Hanukkah that is the festival of lights. And it was that way hundreds of years before Christ was ever born in Bethlehem. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry that is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, I ask you to consider Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Our lighting up of our houses and the Christmas tree is a borrowed tradition. We get it from Hanukkah, and we would be right to think that this wonderful Jewish holiday lends its light to the Christmas story and expands its meaning. Take your Bibles to John chapter 10 and consider with me the holiday of Hanukkah. So we're introduced to what's taking place in John chapter 10, 22. And this is taking place during the Feast of Dedication, which is a reference to the Feast of Hanukkah, because Hanukkah means dedication. It's a feast that's celebrated over eight days. Hanukkah and the Feast of Dedication are the same thing. This feast was not instituted during the framework in time which the Old Testament was written. It was instituted in between the time period in which the last Old Testament prophet wrote and John the Baptist came upon the scene. There's a 400-year period, and about midway in that 400-year period were the events that took place that basically gave rise to this Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah, but it was celebrated, and it was celebrated during the time of Jesus, and probably most likely celebrated more enthusiastically then than it is even today. And so it was instituted at that same time. The circumstances for it takes place as recorded in the first and second book of Maccabees. And this book was written also. It's one of these intertestamental period books that were written. You might find it in like if you have a Catholic Bible, you'll find it what's called the Apocrypha. And it's those books that were written between the time of the last prophet speaking in the book of the Old Testament and the Gospels being written. And so about in the middle of that, you have the book of Maccabees being written. And they tell the story that gives us the history or the background for the development of this great feast. After the death of Alexander the Great, his empire was divided up among his generals, and Israel fell under the domain of one of these new dynasties that rose up as they divided up Alexander the Great's kingdom. That one who held domain over Israel became one by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV. And he had division throughout his kingdom, and he sought to unite it by uniting it under the Hellenistic or Greek god Zeus. Everybody would make as the supreme religion of the land the worship of Zeus. And interestingly enough, Antiochus thought himself to be a divine manifestation of Zeus, and so he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, and Epiphanes means the divine manifestation. The Jews, by the way, who he ruled over, called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means Antiochus the insane or the crazy. They had a different name for him. In 168 BC, Antiochus instituting this new religion or this demand that Zeus be the supreme one to be worshipped in all the domain that he ruled over, he forbade the worship of Yahweh in the land of Israel. He forbade that they practice any of the rites that they had practiced at that point in time. No circumcision, no keeping the Sabbaths, 
no sacrifices to Yahweh, none of the festivals were to be followed. There was to be no activity whatsoever that expressed or related itself to their worship of Yahweh upon the sentence of death. Once he instituted that, he also called upon various priests that he had put in place of the Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical priesthood in the temple. He put in place Hellenistic Jews, Jews that had been folded into the Greek way of life. There were a group of Jews that decided that this whole idea of maintaining a sense of separation from the Gentile world had not done them very well. And that if we're really going to succeed as a people and be safe as a people, we had to learn to merge with everybody else. And so he took these Jews who decided they wanted to be good Greeks or Hellenized with the rest of the world, and he put them in charge of instituting sacrifices to Zeus in the temple. And among other things, at that time, he instituted the sacrifice of swine and pigs on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. And this went on for over three years, beginning in 168 BC. This actually led to what we have, what we call now the Feast of Dedication because there was an uprising that took place. By the way, this three years period of time is still referred to this day as the abomination of desolation. And the Jews at that time felt like this was the fulfillment of what Daniel was prophesying to take place. Finally, a priestly revolt took place and over five Maccabean brothers began to lead a revolt. And these Maccabean brothers were of the priestly class that began to lead a revolt against Antiochus and against the Hellenistic Jews, he had put in power in the temple and ruling over Israel. And through a battle of a series of guerrilla warfare, they ultimately were able to overthrow Antiochus. They were able to take back the temple. They were able to then begin to take back the different strongholds throughout the region and establish a rule for a short period of time under their domain. And during that time, once they took it back, they began instantly to set in place, as they continued out their battle in other places, a purifying and rededicating of the temple that had been so defiled under Antiochus. Hanukkah is a celebration of this time of dedication that took place in the temple. This is what we're going to answer here today. There were two problems that were faced by the Jews at that time as they addressed the need to purify this temple that had been defiled by Antiochus. And these two problems were reflected in two questions that they asked of themselves and they came up with two different solutions. And these solutions are very interesting because in a sense they're somewhat prophetic and they point us to the person of Jesus Christ. The first problem that they asked was this, how do you make something that's been defiled clean? How do you make something that's been defiled clean? As they set out to cleanse the temple, they came to the altar that had been soaked in the defiling blood of pigs. Nothing more defiling in their minds than that, and what do we do with these stones that are in place for the altar where God was to be worshiped? And so. In 1 Maccabees chapter 4, we read this. Let me read it to you. It, it expresses their dilemma and the solution they came up with. Then Judas detailed men to fight against those in the citadel until he had cleansed the sanctuary. He chose blameless priests devoted to the law, and they cleansed the sanctuary and removed the defiled stones to an unclean place. They deliberated what to do about the altar burnt offering which had been profaned, and they thought it best to tear it down lest it bring reproach upon them, for the Gentiles had defiled it. So they tore down the altar and stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until there should come a prophet to tell them what to do with them. Now this is a period of time in which the Jews recognized that the prophets had stopped speaking. And so they were longing for a time in which a prophet would once again speak to them and tell them how to address the defilement that had come upon the altar so they then took other unhewn stones and they made a temporary altar 
in that place to hold them in place until this prophet would come. And, and over time, this prophet became synonymous in the minds of the Jews with waiting for the Messiah, just as the prophet that Moses had said would come, that would speak to the people, was synonymous with their anticipation of the Messiah to come. The Messiah would ultimately be the one who was going to come, and he would bring a cleansing to the temple of the deep defilement that had taken place. He would give them instruction on how they could remove all of the taint of sin in the place in the temple. And by the way, this was not the first time that the temple had been defiled. There have been other kings in Judah and other individuals during the time of Judah in which the temple had been defiled. You might remember Manasseh brought idols to worship the sun god and the moon god and he slayed the blood of men on the altar in order to express his sacrifices to these different gods. And so there have been other periods of defilement taking place and this was accumulating in the minds of the people. Even though God had restored them, how does he restore us from this taint and this defilement that's taken place? And so they began to wait and long for a Messiah, the Messiah to come and tell them, and the Messiah to come to fully cleanse and finish the work of removing the taint of this this defilement that had come upon the land. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, expresses this sense of anticipation and longing for the Messiah to come. It fits with this idea that we've just read in the book of Maccabees and the anticipation these individuals are having to remove the taint that was brought upon the temple through Antiochus Epiphanes. It's added, you might say, and it amplifies or it builds the intensity of the desire of the people. But here's what we read in verses one through five of Malachi chapter three. There the prophet says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former days before the defilement had taken place. And I will come near you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, take what Malachi has prophesied and the people understanding that they're waiting for the Messiah to come as one who will purge and cleanse and restore and clean and make whole. And then add to it this anticipation that you have in Maccabees chapter 4 of a prophet that will come and tell them how to purify the stones that have been defiled, that they've set aside waiting for a time in which they can be reassembled as the permanent place where offerings may be offered to God in the temple. And then you'll understand the question that the people are asking in John 10, 24. This is the time of dedication or the feast of dedication. This is the feast that celebrates this time in which the temple was dedicated during the Maccabean period after the temple was taken back from Antiochus Epiphanes and these these Hellenized Greek Jewish priests that were offering pig's blood on the altar. And this is in response to, and this question is informed by this desire to see a prophet come and return that will tell them how to remove the final elements of the defilement of sin from their temple and from their city. And so then the Jews come to Jesus in the middle of this feast and they surround him and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? 
How long will you hold us in doubt? If you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, if you're the one we're waiting for to do this great work, tell us plainly. So there you go, it's somewhat of the background. There's the great desire. The people understand that although they're celebrating a great moment in which they had thrown off their oppressors and of which they've been restored to some extent to be able to come back and meet with God and worship Him, they understand that there's a final cleansing that still remains to be done. There is a source of defilement in their lives that they are insecure has been removed from them. There's a, a creeping sense in the midst of the dazzle of the celebration of this time period that there still is a cleansing that needs to take place and they're, they're waiting for the Messiah, the prophet to come and tell them how to take away this defilement. They want to know if Jesus is the Messiah who will remove this defilement that still impacts this temple and this place. I think it's hard for us in our day and age to appreciate the great desire to have defilement removed from your life. We, we don't have that idea of defilement as an easy access to us. The Jews in Jesus' day had long been taught from generation to generation that there are things that are holy and there are things that are unholy, and those unholy things can... Please join us in our next broadcast as we consider how it is that God removes from us the taint of defilement. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. In our changing world, it's important that you have one unchanging thing, an assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. But you don't want to have a false assurance. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to SavingEvangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. It can be used personally or as a group study. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.